Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 83rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's always been legendary. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic, the gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether you're building your deck or stockpiling on spec. I'm your host, Travis Allen, Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. My co-host tonight is Cliff Daigle, Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Always glad to be here, everybody. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Keep in mind, the show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Well, Cliff, it's nice to have you back. Uh, James wasn't able to be with us this week, but I'm glad you were able to uh, to fill in as our, uh, there's a term for this, re- recurring co-host, and I don't remember what it is. I should have looked I, it up. I just think of myself as the Jay Leno to your guys as Johnny Carson. <laughs> oh, man, uh, that makes me sound super old, doesn't it? Holy yeah, it sure does. <laughs> <laughs> I know who those people are. Uh, I guess okay, Jay Love, kind of good. our. He he was you know earlier, but uh, yeah, okay. I don't. When did uh, what? When did what's his name go off the air? Johnny Man. Carson. Oh, that was like ninety something. Was it? I'm not. I'm not that old. It, it, uh, I think it was Johnny Car. Johnny Carson left for Jay Leno. Hold on. 1992. Okay. Yeah. So I was seven years old when he quit. I'm not that much older than you. I was 92. I was 13. Yeah, I, w- I didn't think you were that old. Um, Thanks. Thanks a lot. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, that you're, is your pal. What are we right. doing this week, Travis? Tell us all about what's going on in the world well, of MTG Finance. <laughs> sure, Cliff. This week we have a uh, a show in three segments. Segment one is our top movers. We're going to talk about the uh, way too many cards that increase in price this week. Segment two is our cards to watch. Cliff and I are going to share the cards that we think will rise in price. And segment three is our topic of the week. We're going to poke around at some of the Ixalan spoilers, see what's out there, um, and what catches our eye. Uh, so let's jump right in at the start of the week. Our first card, our top mover, excuse me, Yomiji, who bars the way. We're looking uh, at Betrayers of Kamigawa. Uh, the foil copies jumped from about 15 to 30 for a little double up. So Yomiji is a 7 mana 4-4 four, four from the Kamigawa block, which you would have never had any reason to know what he does until now. But it's whenever a legendary permanent other than Yomiji dies, return it to its owner's hand. So why suddenly does this matter? Well, Planeswalkers have been officially revealed to gain the legendary super type as of Ixalan. This was hinted at during the Ixalan uh, leak, the uh, the sheet that got rare sheet that got leaked months, a couple months ago now. Um, but this was we officially got confirmation of it from Wizards on Monday. So you're going to see this as a recurring theme all over our list here. Is now that Planeswalkers are legendary, all of these cards jumped. Uh, and if you read Jason's all Jason Alt article this week, you will see him get very angry about this because we knew that Planeswalkers were going to be legendary 
two months ago when the sheet leaked and only there was only a little bit of a blip at that time. And now that we're learning the exact same information, all of these cards are skyrocketing, which says some interesting things about uh, the way the market works. Do you think that people were hesitant to move on cards because they weren't sure it was real or because we were just figuring, ah, it's not like people were playing that many more of them anyway. I mean, a lot of these are accessory cards that have moved. So uh, you're right. Something else is at play psychologically speaking. Yeah, I suspect that it is. There is a uh, a much smaller contingent of players who were aware of and willing to believe the the sheet, the leak sheet. I think like we all saw, we kind of thought about it. And then it wasn't until it was like widely released by Wizards that people are like, oh, I forgot about this. I guess this matters now. Um, Basically, like I think the number of people who knew that this was coming based on that leaked sheet and actually thought through the implications was actually extremely small. That's what I think it was like the people whose voices you hear on a weekly basis and then a couple other people. I think a a part of it, too, is that we have so much going on in magic at this point we're doing a new set every three months we've got three or four extra releases going on um there's a lot to keep track of and i think you're right it just got kind of lost in the fold for a lot of people like oh that might be interesting without thinking about the implications for such obscure little cards as yamji yamiji yamji yamiji 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 all right all right what's next for us cliff Next up, we have Austere Command. This is the uh, invocation version that has basically doubled from 35 to 70 lately, and it appears to be a, a targeted buyout, although it is one of the most popular white EDH cards. Is it number one? It's got to be up there, right? I would expect. I'm pretty sure it's somewhere in the the high, let's see, by color, white. Um, I'm number three. Number three, it's got to be behind Path and. Oh, it's actually pretty. So it's deeper than I thought it was. It is in thirteen percent of ninety-four thousand decks, which puts it at four nine, like thirteenth place. Okay. Um, Some odd cards ahead of that, actually. Uh, Grand Abolisher is apparently more played, and so is Cathar's Crusade. That's because Cathar's Crusade is busted. That card is ludicrous. Yeah. But interesting. I kind of thought like swords and uh, swords and path would be up there, but I'm a little surprised to see these other ones. Like I don't know what I don't know what white deck would not want Austere Command. Like what there 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 aren't any. Yeah. Let me rephrase it. There are no white decks that don't <laughs> want this card. Um, I picked up I think one or two of these Austere Commands around uh, around twenty five or thirty bucks because uh, they were they were just about empty when I went for them. So yeah, I, I think we're gonna start seeing this with the invocations. It's not gonna be probably quite as widespread or deep as it was on the inventions, especially because the card pool isn't as deep. But uh, as we'll see later, this is not going to be the uh, the only case, the only invocation we're going to be talking about this week. Yeah, the uh, dominoes are starting to fall. Even with the number of people who say that they don't like this this art style, and I'm one of them, you know, I can't read the damn things at an EDH table, uh, there are a lot of other people who are just moving in on them. What's, uh, what's next on our list, Travis? Well, Cliff, next up is Captain Sisse from Invasion, 
We are looking at both non-foils and foils this week, but the non-foils jumped from 20 to $40 uh, on the back of that Planeswalker news. Captain Sisei is probably, I would say, the uh, sort of leading card in the news about this change here. Um, she tutors four legendary cards, so now she can tutor four Planeswalkers, which will be useful in Atraxa. Atraxa Planeswalkers, which is an extremely popular um, deck archetype. Um, so we've seen the non-foils, the foils were basically gone already, but those would have moved as well. Uh, the FTV Legends copies have moved, and demand here is brisk. I sold a Japanese playset at 25 a piece almost immediately, and I believe like English copies are actually selling at 40. So uh, there's some real some real demand here. I wish I knew how much of this is people chasing. I mean, it's true that it is amazing in Atraxa, but all the cards in Atraxa are going to be amazing. I'm really We'll see how how well this holds. There was not a huge stockpile of this anyway. She's just got the invasion and the the from the vault, right? That is correct. Those are the only two printings. Um, so you know, invasion is real old, and it's not like uh, what call it. It's not like those FTV printings are terribly widespread either. And that from the vault has crept up over the years too. The the legends and the, the realms. Yeah, that um, Legends was garbage when it came out, but that is it was. To, uh, to have gained in popularity. And we'll uh, see what, what that holds out. Um, if you're playing it, great. And if you want to grab your copy, go for it. It's going to be amazing in everything you want to do. Yeah, right. Okay, what do you got next for us, Cliff? Next up is Mirror Gallery, the uh, Betrayers of Kamigawa card that you thought would never see EDH play. It has bounced on foil and non-foil. The non-foil has gone all the way up to 24 bucks. And uh, again, because Planeswalkers are legends, we want the legends rule to no longer apply. Steal somebody else's Planeswalker. This You couldn't put two of the same Planeswalker in your deck anyway so i'm not sure why this is bouncing well so i don't think that this is for edh specifically i think that this is players going okay well planeswalkers are now legendary which means hall of mirrors works so i'm gonna buy a hall of mirrors like i don't think that it was even a thought to the extent of like you know this will be played in this edh deck where i do think it would be played if it were played is in casual 60 card decks because i think casual players are really going to like the idea of being able to play all of their johnnies at the same time type of thing um i know i built a lot of decks that hinged around terrible five mana artifacts back uh when i played <laughs> casual schedule kitchen table magic and this is that type of card so i think that's where it's coming from um now i don't think that this will maintain those values at all uh but i do think that this card has permanently moved up on uh on this news simply because it is the only way you can get this effect and there's only the one printing do you think this is going to get reprinted now that they've changed this rule mm, eventually but it could be like a year or two I mean, Wizards was probably aware because this is such a distinct effect, like how it would interact with the Planeswalkers. Uh, so it like might be on their list of like, hey, we should stick this somewhere when we get a chance. But I wouldn't think of it as like a top priority. That makes sense. What's next? Uh, next up, we have the Fairies Protection from Commander 2017 doubled up this week uh, from 14 to 28. Uh, I... I don't really get it. Um, 
I don't I, I don't know who is really eager to use this card at the moment, nor do I know like why it would even spike in price. I, I your guess is as good as me on this one. I just I don't understand where the appeal from this comes from. Well, for one, it's you have to buy the deck to get it. So that people are cranking the, the price on that. But I also think that there's a fair amount of people who want to phase out their stuff and then do something busted. And float some mana and go boom. You know, go with an obliterate or whatever evil thing crosses your mind. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a good one. If you can afford to do it with obliterate, that's pretty sick. Hmm. All right. That's what that's what Commander is. Yeah, that is a bunch of mana, but manus, but it'll do it. Um, okay, what do you got next for us, Cliff? Next up, we have Dragonlord Dramoka from Dragons of Tarkir. The uh, both of those, both of these have bounced. Uh, the non-foil has gone from nine up to eighteen on the back of the fact that the Dragon Tribal deck is amazing and a lot of fun to play. Yeah, my friend was playing this the other night. I was very impressed with it, um, just as it was, and that's with a lot of uh, improvement to the strategy uh, and the deck list. So kudos to Wizards for making that well. Uh, making that well. Dragon Lord Dromica has the additional appeal of uh, not letting your stuff get countered, which is always popular among more casual circles who really hate counter spells. Um, I don't, not a fan of them either, but that's a group that got the pre-order price on Savage Summoning up to like $9. So it's definitely something. <laughs> Savage Summoning. Uh, so it does make me wonder if we'll see the other Dragon Lords start to move at all. I would say Dromoka is definitely one of the more like universal, just kind of useful and pretty much most board states type of thing. Um, but we could see, it doesn't mean we couldn't see the other ones. Uh, I would say... I think Colagon would be my other most appealing one. She seems pretty good. Let me see if I can pull up. Dragonlord Colagon has flying and haste and gives your other creatures haste, which is really useful. Um, just giving all your guys haste is, is awesome. I've lost a lot of EDH games just to that type of effect um, because you can kill your opponents out of nowhere if they weren't prepared for that. You know, the secondary text on Colagon isn't that good, um actually it's extremely not good but it is that haste ability is something else the other ones i'm looking at them don't really jump out at me as being great in like an edh type deck for the most part oh come on you don't like silumgar stealing creatures or planeswalkers well it's useful for sure and i mean there are definitely applications of it but it's sort of like it's not going to be as like universally and and consistently useful i think as something like dromica or colagon so you steal a creature and it gets pathed or um you steal the creature and you sacrifice it but now he's just a three five right i would i would probably say silumgar goes up before colagon does because um the uh the jund the uh what karthus is karthus in the dragon deck I don't he, have the list in front of me. He is not in the dragon deck, which is actually interesting because it could make him a pretty good spec. That would be a, a something that would be high. On the, hold on. Let me just look up and see where uh, where our buddy is right now. You know, and you've got a Tarka over there, too. Um, you know, an 8-8 flying trample for 7 is pretty disgusting. 5 damage divided as you want is reasonable in EDH, but not really remarkable. Um simply because so many creatures have big butts. I don't love Ojutai either. Um, you know, anticipating is on an attack step is like whatever. <laughs> we can yeah. hopefully do better. So what were you looking up for us there? 
Oh, uh, it's loading super slow for some reason. Uh, we'll come. I'll look up Karthus uh, later. I don't want to get too sidetracked because there's a million cards that have gone up at ridiculous numbers this week. Yeah. What, so what's our next one, Clef? Oh, our next one, conveniently enough, is another dragon. Scourge of the Throne out of Conspiracy 1. Uh, the non-foil is up to 25, and the foil is probably going to cost you an arm and a leg at this point. Uh, it's pretty amazing. You get to encourage somebody to attack the best... Uh, the highest life player, I shouldn't say the best, and you just get more and more good dragon cards, and you jam more good dragons in there. Thank God Udvara Hellkite was in there. Yeah, right. That uh, I will tell you, Scourge of the Throne is selling very briskly too. I have a bunch of them sitting around, basically in my failed spec box from something else that was dragon related that occurred a million years ago that I don't even remember at this point. But I know I had some Scourges, and they are selling brisk um so this is some very real demand uh if you need a copy i'm not going to tell you to run out and buy it right now because i don't know if that's necessarily the best idea but i do think that um this price is going to be pretty lively uh until it sees a reprint basically i'll put it that way so if you can find like a cheap copy you know that'd be great um and as for foils yeah these were like 50 or 60 bucks before this if you could even find them so they're just gone now yeah, Conspiracy 1 foils are pretty high up there. Uh, Marchesa foils are among the things that are really impressively uh, got on the foil multiplier. I'm actually annoyed that that's only $65. I believe that's what the foil Marchesas are. Because I bought like four of them, five of them when I was over in Japan. And I'm like, all right, this is good, but it's not that good. It's not like Leovold good. It's like zillion dollars or whatever. Um, okay, next up is Thalia's Lancers from Eldritch Moon. Again, looking at the foil, jumped from two to like four fifty-five bucks. Uh, hey, look at that! Thalia's Lancers tutors for legendary cards and Planeswalkers are now legendaries, and now you have a five mana four-four first strike that will tutor for your Planeswalkers. I don't love this. Uh, I know it searches for your Planeswalkers, but a four-four first strike is pretty mediocre if all it does is tutor for a Planeswalker. But there you go. Um, if you have them, I would sell them or trade them at your local store is probably your best bet. There's going to be a lot of overhead on selling these at your local store. I would pretty much stay away from these because I just don't think the card is actually as useful as people want it to be. This would appear to be one of the first things I would cut if I'm playing an Atraxa, any kind of Planeswalker deck, because I've already got uh, Call the Gatewatch and Deploy the Gatewatch for shenanigans in white to go find a Planeswalker. And like you said, this is just very mediocre and not you're going to play it you're going to get the planeswalker and you can't probably play it that turn just going to make you feel bad i'm totally with you that you should move your copies by trade or by sell and not worry about it you've got your increase good job yep pretty much okay why don't you give us our next one cliff our next one is a sign of uh, the amusement we all get as magic players when things are silly Foil, foil, out of prophecy, is selling at $48, apparently, and for no reason, then it's a foil, foil, and there probably weren't that many of them to begin with, and now people who really wanted them have bought them all. Yep, this card has been expensive for a long time. They must have just had like one or two relisted, and then it got bought out again. Whatever. It's not that interesting. Tell us about our next card. 
Our next card is more interesting. It is Sundial of the Infinite out of M12. Uh, the non-foil has gone from $150 to $4. And uh, people want to end the turn prematurely. Probably, uh, I see you noted here that it's about Inala to keep their wizard tokens around. That doesn't work, right? Uh, well, it's funny that you say that. I am pretty sure that the, and the way Inala's phrase is that you get the token until the end of the next it's the beginning of the next end step so seer sundial will if you activate it on your turn oh, sundial the infinite man seer sundial is the oh. uh landfall draw card okay okay so this card sun sundial <laughs> the infinite um will allow you to skip the end step on your turn however the next end step will simply trigger on your opponent's turn. So you get them for like one more turn. So I don't think people realize what they were shooting for with this um, or that it doesn't work as well as they had hoped it would. I guess if you play like Phage, you can play Phage in your deck now and play Sundial the Infinite because I think there's ways to like, you can exile, you can play Phage, put Phage in the play, activate Sundial, not die to the trigger. And then you play that like Fractured Identity Right, that then exiles a phage, but puts a phage in the play under the control of all of your opponents. So they all suddenly lose for having put phage in the play. I don't know. Whatever, man. I'm pretty sure people just screwed up buying this card. I mean, it's fun with a lot of things, but um, the way the wording works is my understanding. I remember going for this when my dragon deck had uh, Zerlian of the Claw in it, that it doesn't matter which is the next end step. Whichever the next one that hits, that's when they exile. Yeah. So yeah. you'll get one more turn. You can't attack on that extra turn unless you've done other shenanigans too, at which point one more attacker probably is at the big... Anyway, it's it's silly, but it's the only time this has been printed, and it was M12, so that's quite a while ago, come think of it. Yeah, it was. It was, I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess if you play the, like, Gideon deck... In modern or legacy, it will want the the it will want to run those extra turn effects that can cause you to lose the game on the next turn because if you have the Gideon trial uh, emblem, you can't lose a game if you have a Gideon. So this is another way to cast your ex your red time walks and not lose the game. I guess that's a stretch though. Whatever. <laughs> that, is, that is a stretch. We're really stretching here. Yeah. All right. Give us our next one, Cliff. Our next one is Empress Galena, the most delightful legend out of Invasion, giving, uh, jumping up from $9 to $25 in the non-foil. And this one, I love. I love that I can now steal your Planeswalker for the cost of two mana and tap Empress Galena. Empress Galena should now be an auto-include in every EDH blue deck. It's done. Yeah, it's, this is a pretty savage ability. I have to imagine that this is mostly going to play out sort of like a spell skite does. Is just it's an onboard trick, so your opponent won't cast planeswalkers into you, but they will just sit there with planeswalkers in their hand doing nothing because they know that casting it would be foolish. I want to look up. Yep, it's uh, the one you also want to look up if you want the counterpart with the Sabo Tabak. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Oh, Sabo Tabak, I think, or something like that. Yeah, the 7-4 first strike protection from Legends, so Planeswalkers can't target her, and it's two black tap destroy target Legend. <laughs> yeah, she does get better, doesn't she? 
I know the foils of that had already basically disappeared a million years ago, but that's a good one to point out, Cliff. Sabotabic. There you go. Tap destroy target planeswalker. I expect to hear about it next week. Next up is Aggravated Assault. We are on the Invocation version that has doubled up, well, tripled up really from 25 to 75. And this appears to be another buyout of Invocations going with uh, the earlier one we saw and some yet to come as well. Yeah, I think this popped up last week as well. Um, so I'm not sure why it's repeating on our numbers here, but it is. But, you know, it's still there, still still expensive, I guess. Uh, and just really the tip of the iceberg here um, as we're going to continue to see, I think, not really today, but that was our second one for the week. But uh, I do think that we will be talking about these invocations on our show uh, for a while for the near future here. Um, next up, we have Information Dealer from Onslaught. Yeah, I bet you know what this card is. Yeah. Why wouldn't you know what Information Dealer from Onslaught is? Uh, this is a common 2-mana 1-1 one, one. tap. Uh, look at the top X where X is the number of wizards you control and put them back in any order. So, like, what's a, there's a, is there a term for this that I don't remember? Like, look at, look at the top X and then put them back. I don't think so. You recall but that. All you get to do is rearrange. You don't get to draw. You're not scrying, so you can't put, in, put anything on the bottom. If you got three or four wizards in play, this is kind of like a bad sensei's top. It doesn't cost you mana. Yeah, it's mediocre at best. I mean, the foils jumped from a dollar fifty to four fifty, which just means people went and bought the cheapest copies they could find, but then stopped after that. So I, uh, I don't know. Okay, man, whatever. Uh, what do you got next for us? Next up is, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, Riki, Riki. I don't know, the, but it's the history of Kamigawa, the guy who had everything tattooed on his body. Uh, Riki, I believe. Riki, okay. Uh, both the foil and the non-foil have had a big jump uh, from about 5 to 15 on the non-foil. And every time you cast a legendary spell, you get to draw a card. So your planeswalkers come as cantrips now. Yeah, which is, this is another one of those, like, I don't know why people think that this is suddenly good. Uh, like, Planeswalkers being legendary does not automatically make this good, but, like, whatever, I guess. That's what your, does it for you, I suppose. Look, your Planeswalkers like, are already... mattering that much. It really is not. Your Planeswalkers are already value engines, and you're going to end up drawing a bunch of cards, and you're going to proliferate on them. And this is going to be something that you're not going to want to cut out of your... Uh, planeswalker deck but you probably will because he's uh, very very likely to die all right i feel better knowing that you also think that this is kind of pointless it's not pointless i see the appeal but it's a one two that everybody's going to say well we need to kill that else you're going to draw 50 cards yeah, I mean, really, how many Planeswalkers do you have to have in your deck before this is even worth it? Like, right? Like, how <laughs> many how many cards do you have to draw off of this guy before it's worth it? I feel like it's like two, right? Like, you have to draw like two or three cards at least before uh, three mana, one, two is worth it in EDH. And, like, that, your Planeswalker count at that point is very high for this. It's just... Don't do this. Why? Just don't. I guess if you're playing a bunch of other legendary creatures in your deck, it's still fine. It's just it gives you a little bit of edge. I don't know. People are people are dumb. People there has dumb. been a, a Captain Sisei EDH deck floating around for years, you know, all legendary permanents all the time. And you get yeah. to play awesome stuff like a Chroma's Memorial. And so this is just maybe somebody looked at that Captain Sisei list. I thought, well, what are the fun accessories? And let's buy them all. Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. What's the um? 
what's the one in the green? Look for a legendary. Is that legendary? Need. Is that only legendary creatures? I let me take a look. Time of need is legendary creature card. Okay. Yeah. So time of need will not yeah. be spiking. Because then it would have been a tutor, two mana planeswalker tutor, which would have spiked it. But okay. Next up, Thalakos Deceiver from Stronghold non foils because there are no foils from two to six. This is based off it being an eroded wizard, which let me tell you, when I was putting this list together, I were like four cards. I'm like, what the hell is doing, is doing on our list this week? Actually, let me rephrase that. That is true. There were several cards this week that I could not figure out why they were on my list until I checked the creature types. Thalakos Deceiver was not eroded. It says wizard right on the card. I just can't read. Uh, in <laughs> any case, it is a four mana one one with shadow which means it is never getting blocked. And it says, sacrifice the deceiver, gain control of target creature. Uh, and you can only activate this if it is attacked and unblocked, which of course will be every single time you attack with it because you can't block it because it has shadow. So it's attack, gain control of a creature um, permanently. So if you're playing this with uh, in Ilana, Itala, in Elantia, that new wizard mm -hmm. that... Um, makes copies of the creature wizards when they come into play. If you pay one, you cast Thalakos Deceiver, you pay one, you get a copy, you attack and then sacrifice it and just immediately steal somebody's creature. And then you still have the original one here available to you as well. People are banking on this being useful. Admittedly, I will say it is probably one of the better choices to put in that deck uh, because I was looking through the lists for that on EDH rec earlier, and I don't know how you ever win a game. Uh, so this card stealing your opponent's creatures, maybe you can actually win a game if you steal a good one. And it is Anala, Archmage Ritualist. The way they win, uh, I had a wizard deck that used to do this. Uh, it was a 60-card casual deck with uh, Lich Lord of Unks and a couple of these guys and some uh, Riptide Labs. And uh, the way you win is generally you make them want to kill themselves. And uh, you'll do stuff like Supreme Inquisitor and uh, just slowly take care of all the things that might be a problem. That takes forever. Uh, yeah, that sounds about accurate. Uh, what do you got next for us, Cliff? Next up, after Thalakos Deceiver, we have Harsh Mercy, a rare out of... It's a rare, right? Yeah, it's a rare out of Onslaught that has gone from $2 to $7. And this is a sneaky, brilliant tribal card. I'm going to read this to you because I had to go look it up. Uh, it's a sorcery. All, each player chooses a creature type. Destroy all creatures that aren't of a type chosen this way. They can't be regenerated. So you pick your creature type, and everybody else picks one, and you kill everything else. Yeah, uh, I am uh, excited to see this here because I called this one out a while ago um, very early on. I said, hey, this card's going to be good. It's going to be useful. It's not good when everyone else shows up to the table with, harsh, with a tribal deck because everyone picks their own tribe and nothing happens. But if you are the only one playing your tribal deck, then you get to uh, basically in Garrick's wake all of your opponents. Um, and I don't see any changes on the foil page, but I bet if I went and looked, you would not find any foils. So, okay. Uh, next up is Magus of the Jar from Time Spiral. It is a, we're looking at the foils this week, went from 250 to about nine. So about a good triple to double, to triple-ish up. Uh, Magus of the Jar is a wizard that, rep, that uh, imitates memory jar. Uh, there you go. That is the extent of what you need to know about this card. It's a, it's a wizard, <laughs> and it does a thing. 
That's Did it. this? Uh, do you remember if this spiked back when Nequisar decks were spiking all over the place? Do you remember uh, this kind of hating? I'm sure that it did in some capacity, although I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, so I'm looking at data. No, it did not. I'm looking at data back to 2011, and I do not see any spikes on it. Okay, well. Interesting, uh, interesting enough, it did turn north back when Battle for Zendikar came out. So about two years ago, uh, it looks like it started to creep up. So it's been creeping up. The non-foil copy has been creeping up on paper for about two years now. That's a nice, slow, steady ascent. It is a, an awesome one to put a hasty copy into play with, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, that is that is very true, which is probably why we're seeing it this week. Um, what do you got next for us? Next up is uh, Foil 7th Edition Telepathy. Uh, gone from $4 to $15. 7th Edition Foils uh, have a special place in certain collectors' hearts. It was the first core set in Foil. And uh, it goes from... This is the one that goes from white border non-foil to black border foil, right? Yep, that would be 7th Edition, all right. So that's why uh, these foils are extra chased after. And this one is just the most recent one. Telepathy is one of the cards that people will put into a deck right away and then take out because it doesn't do much for you. Yeah. And uh, just to reiterate or to be clarified, it's seventh, eighth and ninth all were white bordered that turned black border on foil. But seventh is the only old border. So seventh, of course, being right. like the only base, the only old border foil printing for a lot of cards and some, a lot of cards, the only foil printing period. Um, why don't you do the next one? Cause that one was boring. <laughs> next is Riptide director, uh, who is out of, I believe onslaught or was it scourge? Uh, let's see. Rip, uh, Riptide director with onslaught. Okay. Yep. Riptide director rare out of onslaught. His uh, foil has jumped from three seventy five to $15. So he's a wizard, but he's a really awesome wizard because he says two blue, blue tap, draw a card for each wizard you control. Boom. You're a wizard, Larry. Yes, everybody's uh, yeah. a wizard. This card is great. Uh, very powerful in the wizarding world. Um, I called this one a while ago, too. So I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but I feel like I'll I'm pat it for you. Can't, I'm patting your back, back right now. I am patting like your back. Harsh Mercy, Riptide Director. <laughs> You're an awesome guy, Travis, and people should listen to you. Good job. <laughs> well, it's, thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So next up is uh, Yogmoth's Bargain. Uh, this one is, got <laughs> – this one's funny. Got unrestricted and vintage. So I guess people thought that that meant it's going to be valuable. Like the vintage market doesn't really drive much of anything except for like Japanese foil gushes, I suppose. <laughs> so I don't know why people feel the need to own a bunch of these. I don't know. I guess we're talking about an Urza's Destiny Rare. There's not that many copies on the market to begin with. Um, and now you suddenly have this increased demand for the card. So I kind of get it, I suppose. Um, this is this I, is just people on automatic is what it is. It got unbanned. Buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. And, you know, the thing is, is I think I don't think they're going to get completely blown out on it either. Like, I don't think that you're going to lose money if you did this. I guess demand will be high enough. You don't need that many people. And Vintage does enjoy a small but dedicated group of people who play. So there's probably enough out there to kind of push push on this a little bit. 
Yeah, I I don't I just don't think this is a uh, a four of kind of thing. It's it's a it's a singleton because you'll have four of the rip the uh, uh, I was gonna say Riptide director, but it's Academy Rector that goes and finds it so that you can now draw as much as you want to as long as you have some life. But um, Vintage is just w- amazing. Well, how wait? So I'm curious about that. What is the strategy there with? Uh, it's something the, I, I know what Academy Rector is, but like, how are the, how is a vintage deck taking advantage of that? I don't know. I just figured that was the the place to do uh, broken, disgusting things was vintage because uh, it's not allowed in uh, Legacy, right? Um, I don't. Uh, probably Academy Rector is legal in all formats. I think I, I don't think Vintage would go through the trouble of like casting that card and then killing it. I think that they will just treat Yogmoth's will a Yogmoth's bargain. Sorry, and let me just verify <laughs> that I'm looking at the right card here. Yeah, they're just going to treat this as a storm card. Like you're just going to storm up to six mana, cast Yogmoth's bargain, then pay 19 life and draw 19 cards. <laughs> That's what they're going to do with this. They're not going to bother trying to kill Academy Rector to go tutor for it. I always look at six man enchantments and think that is a Rector target. <laughs> I mean, in other formats, sure. In vintage, it's just, that's, that's half a black Lotus, man. That's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's, uh, what's next on this list, Travis? This one's, this one's funny to me. Next up on our list is shrine of burning rage. We're looking at the FNM promo of this, which uh, not everyone was aware existed. Um, it is the originally from New Phyrexia. It is the uncommon that every turn or every time you cast a red spell, it gets a counter, and then you can sack it to nuke somebody in the face for a ton of damage. This used to be a giant taking time bomb in standard. Your opponent would cast it on turn two. And then you uh, you basically have like four or five turns to kill them or get this off the board, which at the time there weren't a lot of tools for doing that with. Uh, and then they would just sit there with two open mana and you would never be able to do anything. And I hate this card. Um, the F&M promo jumped from like a dollar to six bucks. Uh, so, okay, I guess. Uh, if you've got them, go for it. Uh, I can't imagine people have too many of these sitting around, but I wouldn't be sitting on it. Uh, I just don't think the demand's really there. It's mostly coming from like modern burn sideboard play, maybe a little main deck play. Uh, but yeah, just I don't think there's it's good enough. Yeah, it's uh, pretty slow. Uh, it it is inevitable unless they have an abrupt decay. I mean, and in which case you're just going to be sad when you don't have the mana to attack it immediately. Yeah, well, that's the thing though is if the burn player is smart, they at once it's at at like three counters or more, they just never tap. They never tap out. They just always hold their two up, period. So they can always just activate it. Two or three to activate. It's three to activate. Oh, it's three? Yeah. That's what I also looked at this card. Well, the the, the point stands. Sell them. Sell them if you have them. All right, I'm going to make you take the next one because I don't want to. Man, come on. All right, it's Yuki Ona, the foil version out of Saviors of Kamigawa that has gone from 50 cents to $4.00. For some reason, that is unknown to uh, the research I have been able to do. This is a spirit that when it comes into play, you destroy target artifact, and when you cast a spirit or arcane spell, return it from the in play to your hand. It's not even from graveyard to hand. I don't know. There's no crazy spirit synergies going on that I can find. Uh, definitely no arcane stuff. 
It's not like there were a lot of foils, but it's a foil common from Saviors. I, I don't know. And if you know, please let us know, because I don't know if Travis knows. Uh, yeah, we talked about this, and neither one of us is able to figure out where this is coming from. So if you have some insight that we're missing, please let us know. Uh, but I got I got nothing for you uh, for where, why this would be here. All right, well, give um, us one we do know about. Yeah, okay, so the next one, and I swear we talked about this last week, is Wanderwine Profits. Um, this is the uh, Lorwyn Merfolk um, that you sack a Merfolk or champion a Merfolk and you can take an extra turn. Uh, basically, in the Inala deck, it allows you to go infinite if you can start um, getting hits on people. It's okay, I guess. I mean, it's sort of similar to like... Uh, Azuri and Sage of Hours combo, so it does something, I suppose. Um, I don't know, whatever. We're looking at the the non foils jump from one and change to uh, ten bucks, so pretty good, pretty good price increase. I, we, you know, we probably talked about the foils last week. That's what it was. So uh, again, if you have them, sell them. I actually have to go through my bulk and dig them out because I'm pretty sure I have a couple floating around. I want to see if I can actually get rid of them. This would have absolutely been in your bulk. So enjoy that. You're going to find a lot of other fun things in your bulk too. So uh, enjoy this balloon king. Is that a fat joke? No, I'm (laughs) not trying to make that joke on you, Travis. I'm sorry. (laughs) didn't mean that. All right. What do you got? What else do you got for us? Cliff, give us a, give us a good one here. Oh, the pirates, the pirates have arrived. Rishadon, Rishadan, Rishadon, Brigand. Rishadon. I don't know. Uh, from Mercadian, both the foil and the non-foil have jumped up significantly. Uh, gone from $1.50 to $17 because it's a pirate. And it's fun. I mean, you get to sacrifice uh, things. Let's see. Which pirate? This is Sacrifice a Permanent Pirate, right? Richardon Brigand is, if I recall correctly, the Sacrifice a Permanent unless you pay three. Yep, that's what it is. Yeah, Richardon Brigand. He's flying, but that doesn't make much of a difference. But, uh, yeah, it's a pirate. And if you've played against somebody with a Brago uh, King Eternal deck, you have seen how annoying these types of cards are because they just keep flickering this and you want to hurt them. But uh, with the pirates coming around, uh, this is probably just the first in the line to fall. There will be some other piratey goodness coming around. It's funny that you (laughs) <laughs> it's funny that you say this because I have a Brago deck and I have uh, I do not have this card in my deck. I, you, sir, are playing Brago fairly. Uh, apparently. Um, and I was like, all right, well, I'll just go find like a cheap copy, like a played foreign copy, whatever. I had none of them there. I didn't find any. And I was really annoyed. Whatever. Stupid, stupid card. And I hate it. <laughs> um like a bunch of the, a bunch of yeah so i think it is i think it is because of pirates i i think you're correct and because a couple of the restaurant cards we've kind of seen um and we'll probably see again is all of these basically if you want to build a pirate edh deck there's not going to be a deep uh vein to choose from and this is basically probably close to the cream of the crop like you're going to have trouble finding 30 playable pirates yeah yeah you are you're gonna have to dig into the shapeshifters and that's just cheating or the changelings i'm sorry the changelings what's uh what's next on the list travis well that would be cinder haze wretch uh this is another one of those cards that i will not believe if you tell me you know what it does it is a shadowmore common uh we are looking at the foils which jumped from a quarter to four bucks supposedly uh but it is 
five mana, three, two, tap target player discards a card. You can only do it during your turn. But if you put a minus one, minus one counter on it, you get to untap it. So I suppose if in Hapatra you can engineer some combo where you can dump a bunch of counters onto this because you're taking them off with some other effect that you can just cause all of your opponents to empty their hands. Um, you could do that. You could, uh, I guess, also just do it twice to somebody, but get two one ones along the way. I would imagine the intent here is that you're getting rid of those minus one, minus one counters so that you can just um, mind twist all of your opponents. I thought this was a Solemnity card that just hadn't spiked yet. Was my oh. impression. I mean, maybe that's true too, right? I guess that's true. You can't put the counter on it. So, no, that through. doesn't work. I don't think that works, does it? Well, it works for de- Devoted Druid. Uh, Wait, or am I thinking of am I thinking of Vizier? Am I? Is it so? Or? Creatures counters oh. can't be put on. See, the like the the cost is to put a one one counter on it. So I don't think you can do that with Solemn. Yeah, no, Solemnity stops the Devoted Druid combo. That's what it is, and it oh, would okay. stop this too. Yeah, I just stopped thinking about that for a second. Oh, and then I maybe somebody's trying to make this work in some kind of vizier of uh, you get one. What's it? Vizier of not deferment of um, whichever remedies. one. Yeah, vizier of remedies. Thank you. That uh, means you get one less minus one minus one counter. That might be it. How oh, maybe people are just like, well. Why gain infinite mana when I can just mine to a You know what it is? That seems stupid. It's people who, like me, think, oh, it's got the put a minus one, minus one counter text on there. It must be good. <laughs> and they don't think it through. And they're just like, this is a cheap foil. And then I don't know, you know, you're still, you're not out a lot. And once, once it starts going, uh, people are really kind of scary in how they'll just follow along. Uh, if you sell a foil one of these for uh, four dollars or more, shoot me a link and I will uh, I will be impressed. <laughs> yeah, that's what you, get. you get impressed. That's um, right. Yeah, I. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Uh, okay, Cliff, tell us about the next card. Oh man, why do I get the ones that I don't know how to say? Uh, all right, this is. <laughs> I'm un- going to give you every Japanese card until you learn how to pronounce Jeez, this language. Such a such a guy. <laughs> uh, untadaki? Did I say that? Uh, untadake. 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 The cloud so keeper. Close. That was, I hope I'm right. most. <laughs> We're talking about foils and non-foils. The non-foil has gone from a 50-cent bulk rare to $10. For If you like to care about percentages, this has jumped up 2,000%. Yeah. And it is exactly because you can use this terrible, terrible land to cast planeswalkers, but not ahead of schedule. <laughs> it's it's a soul ring for a planeswalker. Or no, soul it is not. It yeah. is not. Don't say Why? that because it comes to play tapped. Well, okay, so you're not casting it on turn one, right? You play right. this. You play this at some other point in time. It, but you, you, but you have reached the a point here, which is it's dumb. Like it's really it's not. So there, this this card came up in conversation uh, a couple different places. People use this as an example of finance people being stupid, whatever. I think that this is an interesting lesson because we, on the one hand, this card you could have. You could have seen the Planeswalker rule change, read this card, and went, 
this card is dumb. It will work with Planeswalkers, but it is not going to be good. Um, the effect just isn't powerful enough. The land is not good enough otherwise. It's not going to actually matter if you want to play Planeswalkers in your deck. However, you could look at it and go, I know all of this, but I also know that people will be dumb and will buy it because they will think it will be good. So the card isn't actually good, but you know that enough people will think it is, so there's room to make money on it. And then you buy it because you know that that's going to happen. And I think that's what happened here is people probably, like some people realized that it wasn't good, but bought it anyways because they knew others would think it was. Um, And I bet you dollars to donuts, they will sell copies of this uh, and make money on them. So it's, you know, you can tell me that it's unfortunate or what have you. I don't know. I don't really see that as fortunate or unfortunate. It's just kind of the way it is at this point. Um, you know, you sell, you, it's based on supply and demand and the demand is not coming from the card being good. It is coming from people thinking the card is good. And by the way, according to the TCG player, the last sold copy was at $7. So people really did make money <laughs> on it. Uh, I think also people are, there's a healthy amount of fear for some who they're afraid they're not going to be able to get the card at the cheap price that they think the card should be. And they're like, oh my God, this is a $10 card. I don't want to pay $10 for this. Why didn't I get this when it was cheap? And uh, for some cards, maybe that's true. Maybe you're going to think, man, I wish I'd gotten Empress Galena when she was sub $10. But uh, for a lot of these cards that are spiking, uh, they're not good. And you should not worry about it at all. I think you're completely right. I think that a part of this on the on the half of the people who are actually buying the card is definitely fear-based. It's people who see the card starting to move. They're like, oh, I don't know if this is good or not, but I will pay 2 or $3 for it now to not pay $20 for it later. Uh, so that's a good point. Now you get um, to do this one. Oh, this one's easy. This is this one goes out to my friend Lucas, who has been playing this card in modern three and a half horsemen for years now. And I hope to God that none of you know what that is. Uh, and I'm sorry if you do. But it's Honor Warren Shaku from Champions of Kamigawa. We were looking at the foil specifically. Jumped from 50, wait, nope, a dollar to 27, supposedly. Although uh, I don't think that that's actually a real price change but what we've got going on here is uh it is a mono rock that you can tap a legendary permanent to untap it um so i guess now that planeswalkers are legendary you can tap them to untap this thing which makes mana uh i I guess like it, it gives your planeswalkers a tap ability which they didn't have before i suppose but this is clearly people really reaching for well, this card says, I'm going to buy any card that has the word legendary permanent on it. Uh, what's the last foil Honorworn Shaku sold for that you can find? Uh, give me a second. It takes give me a moment to look it up. Let's see. Last fo- And by the three and a half horsemen modern combo, by the way, involves this in Leyline of Singularity and Narcomiba and Emrakul. It is quite a deck. Uh, last sold foil copy, $8. Okay. $8. That is impressive. It's uh, something. It, I mean, the fact that you can get $8 for it indicates just how much it's grown. And uh, you will... Yes, it turns your planeswalkers into... Uh, what's, 
what's a card I'm thinking of that taps for a colorless man and does nothing else? Not even Mind Stone. Um, uh, mannequin? I, no. Waste? <laughs> waste. There you go. It's now your planeswalkers are all wastes. So congratulations. Uh, you have a little bit more mana ramp. I'm sure you were not playing any in the first place except for Astral Cornucopia and Everflowing Chalice and a lot of cards that are a lot better than this. But by all means, continue to... I'm sounding awfully mean. I don't want to be mean to people who are enjoying putting these new cards in their deck because it's a new type. So if you're playing this, have fun. I hope it brings you all the joy in the world. And uh, what was your friend's name? Lucas. Lucas, good job, Lucas. You keep fighting the good fight. I'm there with you. Uh, I like Drake Haven and Standard, and it is terrible, and I never win, but it is a lot of fun. All right. So last but not least, no, last and least for the week uh, is a whole pile of reserve list cards. Again, I'm not going to read them all out to you. It's not worth my time, effort, energy. There's a bunch of them, either reserve list or original printing, Arabian Nights, Legends, that type of stuff. Uh, if you want to know which ones it are, just go look at you know MTG Price or really any of the websites that track this stuff. You can find the slew of them. James and I have expounded at length at this point about what we think about all of this, so it's not even worth rehashing. Let's jump into segment two, our cards to watch. Cliff, you've got some good ones this week. Let me hear about them. My first one is a card that is near and dear to my heart because I tried real hard to make it work, was Lull Mage Mentor, a rare out of Zendikar. Uh, I think this is a 9 out of 10. This is going to pop. I just don't know when. Merfolk decks are going big. I, you can get it for about 50 cents right now. Conservatively, I'm picking $3, but as a Zendikar rare, it could go a lot higher. Um, foils right now are 2 bucks, and I think those will go up to 10 uh, the the, bo the boost that Merfolk decks are, are getting is really impressive to me. I really like the enchantment, especially, where whenever you play a Merfolk, you get a Merfolk token. Mm -hmm. So I think this is just a matter of time. So for our listeners, why don't you tell our listeners what Lol Mage Mentor does, because this is like an eight-year-old oh, card. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought everybody knew Zendikar cards. Do you think everyone knows um, Malk Rares from eight no. years ago? <laughs> Fair I enough. played during Fair Zendikar, and I don't think I knew what the card did at the time. <laughs> One blue blue for a 2-2 two, two merfolk that says whenever you counter a spell, you may put a merfolk token into play. It says tap seven merfolk you control, tap seven untapped merfolk you control to counter target spell. Okay, so it's definitely that second half is sort of the, the appeal there is you uh, you can tap a bunch of dudes to counter something. So are you do you see this as, as breaking out an EDH then? Is that the idea? Yes, this is absolutely a win more. EDH card, this is what you do with your swarm of Merfolk tokens. I hope we get a three-color Merfolk soon. We really need one that's black, blue, and white. Excuse me, green, blue, and white. Green, blue, and white. Yeah, I mean, really, they have some black Merfolk too, right? Like Sig had that. Um, yeah. Some... So maybe that'll be, they'll do four-color commanders next year again, and it'll be four-color Merfolk. <laughs> um, well, how's the foil supply on this? Uh, I, last I checked, there were 40 on TCG, and at two bucks a piece, that's one person's work in the evening. So if you are that person and you're listening, I'm not telling you to, but that other guy that you're hearing about might be doing it right now. Right now. <laughs> you're, uh, you're scaring everybody. Okay. 
Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Tell me about your first pick, Travis. All right. So my first pick this week is Maelstrom Nexus. This is based on the fact that I've heard people talking about wanting to build Ramos decks. Ramos is the new dragon. Um, he's an artifact. Uh, whenever you cast a spell, you put counters on Ramos equal to the number of colors of that spell. So if you cast a monocolored spell, he gets one counter. If you cast a five-color spell, he gets five counters, which, by the way, is where Transguild Trans Courier came from last week. James and I, I guess, decided not to read Ramos, and we could not figure out why Transguild Courier was <laughs> useful. Uh, that is why you get five counters on Ramos when you cast it. In any case, Maelstrom Nexus is an awesome uh, enchantment. For five mana, it says all of your spell, the first spell you cast each turn gains Cascade, which is ridiculous because it means every turn, uh, the first spell that you cast basically has a, it's, it's Cascade, so that's like Tutor plus Mana Savings. We all know how good Cascade is. So the effect is very powerful. It also turns on Ramos immediately. Um, pay five mana, put this enchantment into play, bam, Ramos can give you 10 mana. So it uh, works really well with him. It's going to slot, I think, I don't see people building Ramos and not having that card in there, especially because that's going to be the type of deck that you're probably going to have some pretty hefty spells in, which means you're going to get some uh, some real good Cascades. Supply on this is extremely low. I think there are like four near mint copies on TCG at the moment or something like that. Eight. I don't know. It's real low. You can pick them up around $10 right now. Uh, I think these are easy crews up to 20 or possibly 30. The only thing that makes me nervous about Maelstrom Nexus is reprints. You've got again, iconic masters coming up this year and masters 25 next year, both of which are making all of us, um, who kind of do this type of thing a little nervous because we don't really have a clear idea of what's in them. And with something like 550 cards on the, on, on the, not on the chopping block, uh, on the horizon, uh, you know, two full sets, we don't know what's going to be there. Any of this stuff could end up there, but if you are willing to spin that particular, uh, roulette wheel, Russian roulette wheel, I think Maelstrom Nexus is guaranteed to double up, uh, without a reprint. I think that this is one of the most resistant to reprint cards you can imagine, considering that it's all five colors and it uses a mechanic that they pretty much know is broken right in half. So this is this is brilliant and I'm upset I didn't think of it quite frankly. <laughs> well, I, I and I agree with you that it is very difficult to reprint. Um, but that's sort of like the well, that's why they would put it in um the masters or iconic they didn't masters it, because they can't put but they it didn't put else. it in the five color dragon deck if they were going to reprint a five color and an all five color enchantment it would have been in this dragon deck well but they can't do everything right like they can't print everything they want to and then this gives the player something to look for it's also not like a tribal card like it's the only card the only card in the dragon deck that this works really well with is Ramos. None of the other ones really matter. So it would only be on theme with one of, with one of them too. I suppose, but this is just a really awesome card to put in your five color deck. And considering that we not only have Ramos, we have two more five color dragons to work with. Um, this, this seems like a slam dunk. Yeah. I, I mean the, the other dragons, but all the other dragons being five colors as well, definitely makes it more appealing just for the fact that they're like, Oh, well, like I didn't build my deck to be like to, to prey on, you know, to work with the five colors, but it being five colors is a nice bonus. Cause I get to play Maelstrom Nexus now. 
essentially. <laughs> um, okay, why don't you give us your next card, Cliff? My next card is Colonian Hydra, the mythic rare out of M14 that got a reprint in Commander 2016 that uh, you can get right now for about $6. And uh, is it, it's whenever it attacks, it doubles the counters on everything you control. It comes to play with four counters. So this is going to work really well with all the cards that care about counters. And I think this is uh, underplayed. And the, only the fact that it has to attack to get the doubling going on is what's keeping its price as low as it is. The Commander 16 printing didn't hurt it too much. You can get a foil for about the right multiplier, $17 to $20. And I, I like having these long term. Okay. Uh, I do. Th I do. Uh, I remember this card from that block. It was uh, I was really surprised that this did not rise in price more. I was kind of annoyed about it, actually, because I wrote an entire article that said Colonial Hydra is a cool card and it should go up in price. And then it didn't. And then I was pissed. <laughs> uh, I've written a few of those myself. Yeah. <laughs> My next card for the week is Attrition. I am looking specifically at the masterpieces currently around 25 bucks or so. Uh, I see these easily jumping to 50 or 60, possibly 75 or 80, just like Austere Command and Aggravated Assault. Um, for one thing, the supply is already very low. So, I mean, frankly, I don't know, it could be there tomorrow morning, regardless of whether I talk about it here or not. But I got thinking about Anala, which is um, a very seemingly popular uh, wizard commander out of the set. That's the one that makes the copies of the wizards. And I'm like, well, what do you do? you make all these wizard tokens or, or yeah, token copies of the wizards. And then they go away at the end of turn, but they're like one ones and two threes and crap like that. Like, what are you doing with them after the fact? There's gotta be something to do with them. And I kind of went looking. I'm like, attrition's a good one. Cause the wizard comes into play. You get the enter the battlefield trigger, you know, with our Kaomancer or whatever, maybe you swing with it. But then before the end of the turn, you just pop them off and start and you kill a creature or two on the way out and try and get as much value out of those wizard tokens as you can before they go. Um, so, you know, with a low supply, very, very cheap masterpiece. Uh, I, you know, an attrition working really well in the Anala deck just seems like a home run. I'm with you, uh, especially with the number of invocations that have popped lately. Uh, this is, this is one that is going to be good. And, uh, this has had one reprint, right? It was the originally in destiny and let's see. Yes, it was, attrition. it was printed in whatever set that was. Uh, and then it was in one of like Commander 2014 or something like that. So there's not even like right. that so many copies available normally. Exactly. So uh, I know this because I had to pick one of these up for my uh, my Thraxamundar uh, EDH deck, and I was surprised that it was what it was. And th this one being so cheap, relatively speaking, uh, is a good sign for what's going to come up. Yeah. Uh, and I will tell you guys, I own zero at the moment. So just so we're clear on that. <laughs> All right. You got one more, one. Cliff. What do you got for me? I got winding canyons for you, Travis. This is the Weatherlight land. Uh, you can get it for $10 right now. This is one of the best lands to play if you play lots of creatures in your EDH deck. And since you're getting tribal with everything, you really want this because it says two tap. You can play creature cards as though they had flash. And this is a reserve list card, but there is a foil version of it because this from that little nebulous time period where they were trying to see about foil versions and 
then they decided, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, what foil copy are you talking about? Isn't there a judge foil of winding canyons? No, I'm thinking of sawing glaciers. Oh my God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. There's everybody. No foil everybody I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm an idiot. I, tried, I apologize for that. You're, you're way too, uh, <laughs> apologizing way too hard here. Uh, yeah, there is no foil of this, but that's good, right? Because it means there isn't a better version. The only one you're buying yeah. is this one. Uh, you know, I, I see like, two or three copies at eight bucks and then it's you're at 15 there's only 14 total sellers on tcg right now for a total of probably like 40 copies uh there's not a lot i'm really surprised this one hasn't been bought out already with all the activity given that it's a reserveless card and it's actually useful it's just a better alchemist refuge it is absolutely a better alchemist refuge and uh, i'm not sure why people aren't playing it but uh it's awesome and i've had one in every Creature-based commander deck I've built, and I've always been happy to see it. It's a little pricey, but you get to do your creatures as soon as you need them to, and that's amazing. Okay. Uh, All right, so Cliff, let's get to uh, our topic of the week here. We're just going to touch briefly on the Ixalan spoilers. Um, So you've got the new Jace, uh, who is a (laughs) really really bold uh vision for his attire on this printing i think um just there's a lot going on in that art (laughs) he's a he's a a castaway he's lost his memory he's looking for somebody to enter his life to help him regain a sense of who he is and it's a romantic story and if you can't get behind that kind of story travis i don't know you and i don't want to know you. well he's clearly he's clearly a castaway who's lost but what he lost was his shirt sleeves um (laughs) just one of the shirt sleeves just one just one he he does go infinite with doubling season uh, which well, what doesn't go in favor of doubling season? Right, so people were really quick to point that out. Oh my god, he goes into a doubling season. Eh, whatever, like everything does. I don't. First of all, if your combo involves untapping with a five mon enchantment in play, then get the hell out of here. Like, what <laughs> format are you playing? Um, so I don't think that matters at all. Uh, it's just mostly amusing, but he's it, it's there, I guess. You know what card did catch my attention? Uh, and I'm not taking credit for this. I think I saw on on a website that will remain unnamed. Um, but there's that three mana enchantment that, uh, crud, where is it? I don't see it anywhere, but it's basically uh, xenograph slash, um, conspiracy. It makes all of your creatures of a certain adaptation. Okay. So what you do is you cast that on three, you name like allies, and then you play Turn Timber Ranger on, I believe, four. And let me verify that for you. Because uh, that really matters. Five. It's a five on a two-two. But with these two cards, you get infinite two-two wolves and an infinitely large, excuse me, Turn Timber Ranger. Um, they don't have haste, but it does give you a very large army. Uh, it gives you a wide army and one humongous creature. So unless your opponent has, unless your opponent can kill you on their turn or has a wrath uh you can kill them so it is a two card infinite body combo which i don't remember there are other ones in modern but i don't know if any of them are quite that cheap now it does mean you have to play two pretty mediocre cards um so and this is not a splinter twin the next splinter twin by any stretch of the imagination but it is interesting that that's out there uh and i know jason alt was <laughs> also complaining about turn timber ranger in his article today he really hit all the bases um but 
it's at least interesting to be aware of how that functions. Uh, the other blue card that uh, jumped out at me was Rivers Rebuke, the four blue blue uh, return all non-land permanent target player controls to their owner's hand. Think everything. This is a sorcery and not an instant, so people can't play a second damn Cyclonic Rift. But, um, I mean, giving people a second way to do the Mega Bounce is, uh, is pretty intriguing, I gotta admit. Yeah. It won't be hard to get that back in your hand. No, that effect is so, so savage. Uh, really just obnoxiously so. Um, and even if you're, yeah, even if you can't end of turn instant it and then untap, I don't think that that matters that much, especially with how much mana some of these decks generate as it is. So that's, that is a good point that that's there. Um, by the way, the, uh, I know this popped up briefly, but people thought that you could go infinite with Hangerback Walker and Bellowing Agasar, Agasar, Agas, Agasar. Agus, Agasaur, because but Agasaur only puts counters on other creatures, not himself, so he does not go infinite with Hangerback Walker. However, Hangerback Walker. I think you mean Walking Ballista. Walking Ballista, yeah, sorry, Walking Ballista and two Bellowing Agasars will go infinite. So if you manage to resolve two six mana dragons, congratulations. Um, I think the card that is just going to be. the equivalent, um, I don't know about equivalent to Panharmonicon in terms of we think it'll be bulk and it'll be expensive later. Uh, I don't think Vanquisher's Banner is going to have a chance to get too cheap. It is five mana, but between the tribal decks that have just gotten printed and the encouragement of more wacky zany tribal decks, paying five mana to give an anthem and the cantrip ability to every spell of that type, uh, there's no downside. I don't know that this will have a chance to get as cheap as it would have gotten if this had been in the set two years ago, maybe even a year and a half. Yeah, this is that one. I did did catch my eye. It's it's a little pricey, uh, and it's only it it's only an anthem, so it's kind of like eh, like five mana for a glorious anthems, kind of mediocre. But you draw so many cards with this. I guess you probably so have to think of this in the other direction. Like it's a five mana permanent glimpse of nature. That also happens mm-hmm. in Glorious Anthem. So yeah, that's really good. And clearly a seed to fall in line with um with what the with the whatchamacallit, the commander set this year. So that's that's a good one to keep an eye out for. I, I think foils of that are probably pretty good. Because that's the type of card I could see them sneaking into like other commander products or like Arch Enemy or something like that down the road, but non-foils, and you end up with a situation where it's been printed five times, but only once in foil. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh Life Crafters B series like that for me too. Okay, yep, yep, that's true. That's another good one. Same concept. Uh also treasure map. I'm pretty sure that card's absurd. Like I kind of looked at yes. um, that. That just seems very playable in any control shell or ramp deck. Uh, very strong looking card. I don't know what to do with that. Like, I mean, I don't know if they're a quarter that might be worth considering because it is an artifact and it's two. So you can play it in a lot of different decks. So if they're really cheap, maybe you, you can pick them up. Uh, but I do think that that card is very good because it turns into a black Lotus or uh, you can draw three cards over three turns, which is also very solid. Um, so there's a lot of power there. Uh, an interesting little tidbit, the flip side of Treasure Map, Treasure Cove, uh, A, that is the original, that was going to be the Ixalan Masterpiece frame, if Ixalan had Masterpieces, or back when it did have Masterpieces, and B, looks exactly like a Dominion card. Um, 
or one of many <laughs> other board game cards. I haven't figured out which board game it is that it reminds me of most. Dominion is just what came to mind first, but I'm pretty sure I wanted, someone's going to find the game that this looks like, and they're going to post a picture of it next to each other. And it's going to be like the same damn border. Uh, the Dominion, I don't know what, maybe it's just the fact that it has so much blue and then so much uh, yellowish in the bottom that makes me think of Dominion because that's the color scheme on Dominion too. Yeah. But uh, you, you made that comparison and I said that that's exactly it. Yeah. It, it, it sounds like a Dominion card too, right? Treasure Cove. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So lots of interesting cards here. Um, but let's, uh, let's wrap it up for the week. We covered a lot of stuff in segment one. Uh, Cliff, where can our listeners find you? The best place to find me is on Twitter. I'm at Word of Commander, or you can find me every Friday on mtgprice.com. Excellent. And I, again, am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, every Monday on MTG Price, every Monday night on Cartel Aristocrats. Uh, I would also like to remind our listeners to check out mtgprice.com's Pro Trader Service, for five four ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine a year, you can get early access to this podcast that you are listening to. Fantastic articles by some of the best financial minds in the business, and a great set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. And I gotta pat ourselves on the back. We have made you the cost of Pro Trader over I think every single week. For like the last six weeks. Yeah, it's, uh, been, it's been a really <laughs> hot streak for you and James. And uh, I know people really love to hate James for some reason. I think it's the accent. <laughs> but um, it's the guys, hair. Let's be honest. It's the hair. <laughs> it might be. He never. Maybe he said he never smiles. I call him out on the smiling on Twitter all the time. Uh, but it's it's been phenomenal. And uh, I hope I don't ruin that streak. No, no, no. I don't think so at all. Uh, even if you did, you couldn't take credit for it. That would be all me. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 83. Cliff, I was so glad to have you on this week. Thank you for joining me. Always a pleasure, Travis. Call me anytime. Uh, uh, excellent. All right. Thank you. And we will see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.